Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Errol Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. Today I'm joined in studio by Carol Bogert, President of the Marshall Project, a nonprofit news organization covering the U.S. criminal justice system. We'll discuss our organization, the state of criminal justice and criminal justice reform in the United States, the prison situation, the election of Donald Trump, and her work in building a news organization from scratch. Prior to her work in the Marshall Project, Bogert was previously Deputy Director at Human Rights Watch, running its award-winning global media operations. And before that work, she spent 12 years as a foreign correspondent for Newsweek, serving in China, Southeast Asia, and the Soviet Union. Welcome, Carol. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Um, So the Marshall Project may be a new thing for some number of our listeners. Tell us a little bit about it and its genesis. It's a new thing for everybody. It's only two years old, so we're just a baby in news terms. But we have already won a Pulitzer Prize. So that's an important thing for a media institution because it's a mark that you're doing solid journalism. We're a newsroom, so we're a group of reporters. We're covering all aspects of the criminal justice system from mass incarceration, race and policing issues, the death penalty. Uh, The criminal justice system in America is very large. There are two and a quarter million people in prison in the United States and many millions more who are affected because they have a family member or somebody who works in the criminal justice system. So we're really talking about a big piece of the American economy and a big piece of American politics. So as our editor-in-chief, Bill Keller, who used to be the executive editor of the New York Times, likes to say, we operate in a target-rich environment. There are plenty of news stories uh, to keep all of us busy. So we're small. We only have about nine reporters. Uh, We have a digital team and uh, people who partner our work with other organizations. So everything we publish, or most things that we publish, we publish in partnership with mainstream media organizations like the New York Times or the Washington Post or NPR. That's how we get audience. One of the hardest things for a startup media organization is how do you find audience? How do you get people to read or pay attention to your stuff? So we've approached that problem by partnering all of our work with media organizations who have bigger audiences than we do. Such as? Such as legacy media like uh, the major papers and NPR, but also local news outlets, the New Orleans Times-Picayune, Uh, Vice is a wonderful partner for the Marshall Project. We have a weekly series called Life Inside, which is written by often a person who's incarcerated. Sometimes it could be a judge or a cop or a prison guard. um, Just describing in a first-person way what it's like to be inside. And we run that every week with Vice. Um, So they're an excellent partner, actually. They bring a lot of audience, and they pay for the visuals that we uh, use to accompany the stories. So we have partners from a pretty wide array of sort of digital paper broadcast uh, institutions. And we do a lot here at the school to study new business models. Obviously, this is a relatively new one. Uh, Tell us about uh, your business model and how the lights get turned on every day. 
Yeah. It started really with uh, a founder who was able to be very generous at the outset to launch the Marshall Project and a number of foundations who came together um, to be in the belief that criminal justice reform needed media coverage and that one way um, to ensure that reform happens is to make sure somebody, somebody is shining a light on what the problems are in the system. So most of our donors are still relatively large donors, foundations who are giving us sizable grants. Uh, we have a budget of about $4.5 million. Um, but we're definitely developing smaller donors. Um, we'll be launching in 2017 a membership program so that people who support the idea of nonprofit media can demonstrate their support by making a, a small gift. We have some earned income, so for a very small number of the things we publish, we actually are paid by the media institutions that we partner with. Uh, we've sold a script to Hollywood that brought in some income. So there are bits and pieces here and there of earned income. But mostly it's philanthropy. And I think part of our challenge, we're not going to solve the issue facing the media sector more broadly of how to pay for the news. But we are one answer to that question. And I think people are going to have to get used to the idea that among the things that you support, if you're a good person, you might support your local college, you might support Montclair State University, you might support the ballet and the theater. You're going to also have to support your media. If you care about media and you want this information to be produced and to be available to the public, it's going to take in part some philanthropic dollars to make that happen. We'll come, we'll come back to that uh, topic, perhaps, but let's move into the meat of the extraordinary work of the Marshall Project, and that is about the criminal justice system and all the issues related to it. Criminal justice reform seemed to be an issue that had a lot of legs and momentum to it, at least in the Obama administration years, with support across the aisle, as they say. Um, what are the prospects for criminal justice reform, and what what might come of the new era? So... At the national level, since you mentioned the Obama administration, I think it's correct to say there was a lot of interest in criminal justice reform inside the administration. There was some support for it across the aisle, but I don't think there was enough support or enough willingness uh, from Republican members of Congress to hand a legislative victory to President Obama. Now, with someone like Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, it's not clear how many reform initiatives he's going to be supporting. For example, the federal government um, has uh, consent decrees. You know, they, they work in partnership with local police forces who are not doing their job. And they oversee those police forces to make sure that their behavior gets better. So Chicago and Baltimore are currently in that situation. Will that continue under an attorney general like Jeff Sessions? Probably not. However, with a Republican White House and a Republican Congress, it's not inconceivable that those in that party who do favor criminal justice reform will partner with those in the Democratic Party who are still for it, and they'll be willing to actually pass sentencing reform, which died, as you pointed out, in the last Congress, because now it'll be a Republican victory, and it'll be one way for Mitch McConnell and uh, others in the leadership of the Republican Party to show that when they're in charge, they get stuff done. So I wouldn't write off criminal justice reform as dead under a Trump administration. Furthermore, obviously, most criminal justice matters are state matters. So there are a lot of different kinds of experiments happening at the state level, uh, which can go forward with or without federal involvement. 
It was uh, commented on in many places that one of the stocks that rose in the aftermath of the election uh, three weeks ago were private prison stocks. There may be others related to criminal justice that did, but that one got a lot of attention because the market moves were quite significant. Explain that. Why, why is that and why is a Republican administration coming in uh, boosting the fortunes of private uh, prison companies? So the, admo- the Obama administration had vowed at the federal level to phase out the use of private prisons. That's actually a tiny fraction of the prisons that we have in America. The overwhelming majority of prisons are still state-run, both at the federal and state level. But it was symbolically important, and I think private prisons have really captured the public imagination in a way. Um, when Hillary Clinton spoke about them in one of the debates she had with Donald Trump, uh, the public reaction really spiked. At, the men- at her mention of private prisons, it's something that people really care about, even though, as I say, it's a small part of our overall criminal justice system. So uh, because Obama has signaled some hostility towards private prisons, it's perceived that the Trump administration would back off of that. Also, the private prison industry is moving aggressively into uh, the detention of undocumented migrants. Uh, which it's perceived that under Trump uh, there'll be a lot more detention and, of course, potentially even deportation of uh, undocumented migrants in the United States. So the private prison industry could conceivably have a real boom building migration facilities or migration detention. But most conversations, right, about what is, quote, unquote, criminal justice reform take a view of private prisons as being a negative, right? So how do you look at that in the new Republican era ahead of us? Well, you you may have seen another excellent nonprofit media initiative at Mother Jones. One of their reporters went undercover and actually reported what it was like to work in a private prison. The incre- the tiny salaries, you know, of $9 an hour to work as a prison guard and the ways in which private prison companies cut the staff to the bare minimum, not even populating all of the guard towers around the prison, for example, to make sure that people don't escape. Even the inmates in this prison where this fellow served were saying, y'all need more guards here. So um, it's generally felt that private prisons are not as well administered as state prisons, although one hates to make too great a differential between the two because, frankly, a lot of government-run prisons are also a nightmare. Um, But yes, criminal justice reformers in general feel that private prisons introduce a profit motive into the detention of other human beings that shouldn't be there. And does the Marshall Project take points of view on such questions? Yeah, we're a nonpartisan uh, organization, so we run commentary by outside individuals. We hope to be doing that more regularly. We're hiring a new commentary editor now. Um, So we are interested in running points of view from across the political spectrum on that, for sure. And you've done, based on my glancing at it, more reporting on what one might expect from incoming Attorney General Jeff Sessions than just about anybody. Part of the reason for that, obviously, is there's a lot to write about, about the transition currently in process. But Jeff Sessions' uh, prospects are an important story for you, maybe the most important of the current batch of stories. How have you all (laughs) assessed Sessions and what kind of attorney general he might be? Well, as I say, he's somebody who's not interested in um, the federal government intervening in places where police depart- local police departments have shown themselves to be abusive or incompetent. Um, of course, he um, he hasn't. Uh, in the past, it's well known that he was not put on the federal bench even back in the 1980s because of uh, comments that he made that were perceived as racist. Uh, so it's unlikely that he's going to be highly sympathetic to movements like Black Lives Matter, for example. 
Um, so I, I think there's a lot to be concerned about. I Obviously, as you say, there's a lot to be concerned about across the administration, and mainstream media organizations have to cover really the full waterfront of that. One of the things that the Marshall Project can bring is this kind of laser-like focus on exactly these elements that are relevant to criminal justice. And, and what do you know about the public's interest in your issues, if you will, as opposed to the wide set of things that, that, ga you know, that gather news attention? Yeah. Well, I do think that there's more interest in criminal justice reform today than there has been in the past. I think people have woken up to the fact that we have the biggest prison population in the world, and even as a proportion of our population, which is larger than most countries, we're imprisoning probably more than anybody except possibly North Korea. Um, I think there's a greater understanding that um, mass incarceration has really changed the face of this country. I think organizations like Black Lives Matter have drawn attention to the ways in which uh, racial groups are disproportionately targeted by police and by the criminal justice system overall. So I think there's more energy and attention to this issue than there has been in the past. That doesn't mean that there's enough. It doesn't mean that there is necessarily political will to make big changes in how we police and incarcerate uh, in this country, but that's really our job, try to in increase the circle of people who actually care about this issue. And returning to the business model question for a minute, uh, how what is the best mechanism for our listeners, the public at large, to consider supporting the Marshall Project? Oh, bless you. If you would consider supporting the Marshall Project, please go to our website at themarshallproject.org, and there's a donate button that you can click and donate to today. And the history of the name would be interesting to our listeners as well. It's named for Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American Supreme Court justice in the United States. Um and a real hero of the civil rights movement, um, a man who was um, at the same time committed and moderate and had the ability to listen to all points of view but never wavered from his principles. So we're named in his honor, and um, we try to do justice to his name. Speaking of the Supreme Court, that will be a very big story for the Marshall Project over the course of probably even early 2017. What should one expect in that regard? Well, we're waiting to hear today that Supreme Court is taking taken up, for example, a case out of Texas in which um, the Supreme Court in 2002 banned the execution of people with mental disabilities. Uh, Texas has done some creative things to redefine what mental disability means, and the Supreme Court will be examining the case of Bobby Moore, whom Texas wants to insist is not mentally disabled. Um, so there is a steady stream of fascinating cases that come before the court, and that's separate from the selection of justices, a very hot-button political issue that we will also be covering. Well, the Marshall Project daily email is part of my early morning news consumption every day. I enjoy getting it. It's important work, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to keep it up with support from our listeners and others. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. That's very generous of you to say. Uh, thank you, Carol, and thanks for visiting us today at WMSC Radio and Montclair State. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.